Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. While you're doing that, just another word about our Bible school and registration. Uh, today we've got the registration forms on the back table here. So uh, parents, please pick up however many you need. If you need some to pass on to other people outside our congregation, neighbors, friends, co-workers, feel free to do that. And um, make sure that uh, these are returned. Uh, they can <clears throat> uh, be returned uh, to the office, of course, as it says here. Uh, and we've got several ladies who are uh, offering to help lead the Bible school, and they've been working very hard uh, in uh, doing that. And uh, so you may want to give uh, the forms to uh, Anne-Marie uh, as well. Um, whoever would be uh, appropriate for that, please feel free to do that, as well as the office. Now, as we do this, as we uh, come to 1 Peter chapter 5, <clears throat> this is really the concluding chapter, of course, but it's the concluding uh, remarks that Peter wants to uh, impress upon his readers <clears throat> remember that these are Christians, <clears throat> but they are Christians who are undergoing pushback, as we might say, from uh, the folks in the government and uh, also uh, those who are Gentiles and who oppose Jews becoming Christians even some of the Jews were opposed to what was happening to these new believers. And we're doing, we've been doing this whole study because you and I, as believers in our day and time right now, are beginning to uh, see the early stages of, of opposition, outward opposition, even uh, fairly mild persecution because we stand for the Word of God, and be, we stand for Jesus Christ, and the unbelieving world is not neutral to that, never has been, but the hostility of that comes into focus at various times in history, and we're in a period now where that's intensifying. We need to be prepared for that, and we need to prepare our children for that. It's that important. Be prepared to live out your life of, of Christian faithfulness to the gospel, to holy living, to living by the standards of the word of God, to glorify God rather than man. Be prepared that people are not going to always like that. And you may suffer as a consequence of that. So Peter now turns, I think very interestingly, to talk about elders the elders of the church. And he's going to talk to us about that in the light of all that he said. You're going to face difficulties. You're going to face persecution. But your faithful God is going to care for you and even use you during these times of suffering for Christ. And because of that, you're going to need good leaders in your churches to help you with that. So with that in mind, let's listen to what Peter says. 1 Peter 5 at verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ 
as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is the word of the Lord. It's interesting that in the situation that we are in right now as a congregation, we've just completed a period for nomination for new officers. Now, we're not kicking out the ones we have. Uh, they've done a pretty good job. But the session feels like we could use uh, some more officers. And so we have people nominating people to be elders and also people to be deacons. The vote for that, of course, the election for those offices will be later on. But here we are knowing that that's coming up and Peter is giving us one of the main sections in the, in the scriptures about the work of the elder. So we need to keep this in mind that Peter is talking here about uh, the elders who are called to lead individual congregations. And those elders could be seen as the teaching elders, the ministers, uh, as well as the ruling elders, those who are not ministers, but who are members of the church, and those men are called to serve as elders. So whether you're thinking primarily of the, the pastors or uh, the ruling elders, it applies to both, because they're all elders. There's a common theme, though, in what we see here in these seven verses. In your outline, you'll see there's, there's three sections here to this passage. And in each one of these, Peter brings out his theme that he's used all through the letter, the theme of suffering leading to glory. Suffering leading to glory, or another way to put it, humiliation, our God humbling us, which will ultimately result in our exaltation or our being lifted up. That theme, that, that contrast, humiliation, exaltation, suffering, glory. You'll see that in each one of these three sections, so watch for that. Now, look at what Peter mentions here. I put it in the form of questions. First of all, where do we turn to learn about the leaders of the church? Where do we turn to learn about the leaders of the church? There are churches who basically 
uh, import the, the leadership teachings and principles of the world. And they might use some principles they find in a great book on leadership from some uh, leader, leader guru that a lot of companies are using, uh, all that kind of thing. We could turn to that, and some churches sadly do. We could come up with our own ideas of what we think a leader is. Uh, we could uh, read books about leadership ourselves. But look, there's no need for that. The Bible has given us the principles for what we need for leaders in the church. And this is one of those passages. Throughout the Bible, God teaches lessons on that. Remember how Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, counseled Moses because Moses was wearing himself out counseling all the people of Israel that would come to him with issues and problems. And Moses' uh, Moses' father-in-law said, look, Moses, uh, you're going you're gonna to live a short life at the rate you're going. You can't carry this burden on your own. Appoint men who are competent and qualified who will lead groups of hundreds and thousands and so on. And he tells him, this is in Exodus 18, he tells them, tells Moses that let them handle all of the, the basic issues that people have and you be the one who deals with the more complex issues. Moses took his father-in-law's advice and things went along a whole lot better uh, as a result of that. That was the, the first real clear example of, of biblical leadership. And there are others, of course, we could mention as well, but I just wanted to point that one out as an example. And so Peter basically is saying, I'm under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in, in communicating to you what you need to know about having elders in your church. Peter is saying, I'm qualified. Now, he's not saying that in a bragging way. In fact, he says it in a very humbling, humble way. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Did you notice he doesn't say as an apostle? He could have done that. He could have said, now listen, people, I'm an apostle. I've seen Jesus and you haven't. <laughs> and I know what I'm talking about. He doesn't do that. It's true, though, that he is an apostle. He has the authority to, to tell his readers, his hearers, what needs to be understood about having leaders in your church. And here's what he says. He says he's qualified. He was a leader himself, a fellow elder. There is a biblical hierarchy of authority. We need to remember this. Christ, of course, is the king and head of the church. And he is the one who <clears throat> gives us the instructions for how we are to have leaders in our church. <clears throat> so Christ says to the apostles, write what I want the churches to know about elders. And so Christ to the apostles who are under Christ and then the apostles provide us with the biblical teaching on elders. And then the elders are elected under the authority of Scripture. Christ 
the apostles, the scriptures inspired by uh, the apostles write, inspired to write the scriptures, and then the elders <clears throat> who are to lead the church. <clears throat> when, when, when this happens, you see it actually carried out when um, a minister or an elder or a deacon is ordained to be a leader in the church. You may remember if you've seen anyone like that ordained, that they kneel with the elders surrounding them. The elders lay their hands on the new officer, elder and deacon. What does that mean? <clears throat> it means that authority has been communicated from Christ to the apostles, uh, to the uh, new leaders of uh, the churches. And that, that authority that the present elders have is symbolically passed on to the one who is now being ordained as another officer or an elder. <clears throat> Don't forget that when you see things like that happen, when we ordain men to office. Peter was one who knew Christ in the flesh. He was with Christ. He was one of the original disciples. He was an apostle because he saw Jesus in his suffering and in his glory when he was raised from the dead. He even saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration before his death. He knew firsthand the power of Christ's life and teaching. He knew that Christ was the Savior of sinners and the Son of God. And he also knew that he, along with all his fellow elders, will one day be joined together in glory in heaven because of their faith in Christ. And so he mentions that at the end of verse 1. I am also a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So there's your first example of this common theme. That we suffer, we humble ourselves, we serve the church, but one day we will be in glory with the Lord and his people. Good leadership models are hard to come by. And the church needs to hold high the standard of godly men who are willing to humbly serve the church. It is not an easy task. Most of the hard work done by your elders, you never see. You never realize. You never know or rarely know some of the hardships that they endure because of issues that they have to deal with in the life of a church. And it's this way in every church. Every church has issues. You know how we like to say every family is a dysfunctional family? <laughs> every church is a dysfunctional church. Some are more than others. And that's one reason we need leaders to help us work through those matters as they come forward. <clears throat> but God has given us the model that we need. So when we, the answer to the question, where do we turn to learn about the leaders of the church? We turn to the word of God. That's our authority for all that we believe and all that we do as a church. Now, the second question, what are we to expect from the leaders of the church? What are we to expect? In other words, what is their responsibility? Verses two through four deal with that. 
And the first uh, few ver words in verse 2 basically gives you the answer. Peter has said who he is, and he said, now here's what I want you to do, elders. Shepherd the flock of God. That is a key word when you think about what's the, what's the job of the elder? It's to shepherd. In a sense, it's to be an under-shepherd to the great shepherd of the sheep, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the chain of authority here. The work of the elder is not to do what they think or what their preferences are, or what their ideas are, so much as it is to do what they believe the word of God instructs them to do. They are bound to make their decisions on the basis of the principles and teachings of scripture. They need to know God's word, in other words, and use it in the decisions that they make. You see how authority is given to the elders through Christ, through the word. Their responsibilities listed here are to shepherd God's flock and to serve as overseers. You see that a little further down. Exercising oversight. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. <clears throat> that word uh, is, is another word that's used for elder, overseer. It's the, the, uh, the two words used here, shep, uh, elder and overseer, are the words presbyter, Presbyterian that we get from it and the word Episcopal. Oversight or overseer means to look very carefully after something. Episkopos, the Greek word. And, you, and in that word, if you think about it, the, the word scope, episkopos, the word scope is in there. You are to, to see your flock as the scope of what your work res, uh, involves. And you are to shepherd them. You are to look after them. You are to care for them. You are to minister to them. You are to serve them. You are to love them. You are to feed them God's truth and God's grace through the gospel. That's our calling as elders. And we are to do it, he says, willingly. Our hearts got to be in it. He says it in several ways there, uh, in, beginning in verse 3, uh, at the end of verse 2. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. An elder needs to be a good example. That's what leadership was. You know, in, in ancient times and still today, uh, shepherds did not have their sheep move from one area to another by getting behind them and driving them. That's not the way it worked. Uh, one commentator I read referred to it as a cowboy approach to being a shepherd. Uh, the opposite is the case. The shepherd gets in front of the sheep and the shepherd leads his sheep. The sheep know the shepherd. They have a, a kind of relationship, if you will. And they won't just follow anybody, but they'll follow the shepherd. Jesus mentions that in John 10 when he talks about himself being the good shepherd. And so the sheep follow the leading of the shepherd. 
Now, when it comes to our spiritual lives, that's what we need to do. We need to have elders who are good examples to us, who lead by example. That's the most important principle of leadership that there is. You don't lead by forcing. You don't lead by manipulation. You don't lead by telling them to do things that you yourself are not willing to do as a follower of Jesus. You lead by your example. People watch leaders. People form le uh, 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 concepts and, and opinions of leaders based on what they see. Do elders have to be perfect? No. Do they have to be sinless? No. But they have to be genuine, humble servants of Christ. They have to be godly men. And we need to follow their leadership accordingly. Humbly. You know, I read where Frank Barker, who was the founding pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church over in Birmingham many years ago, he gave this story about a police recruit <clears throat> who was given the following scenario to test his reaction. He has been called to the scene where a crowd is gathered around two men clearly intent on killing each other. Behind them, a burglar is breaking into a house. A panic-stricken man grabs him to tell him his wife needs to go to the hospital and the ambulance men are on strike. The recruit can hardly take this in before he notices that a fire is spreading through an apartment building across the street and a woman is screaming for help from a top floor window. When the recruit was asked what he would do in such a situation, this is what he wrote. I would take off my uniform and merge with the crowd. <laughs> I say that because, and I think Frank Barker was making that point too, that once an elder candidate begins to study what it really means to be an elder, he might be tempted to take off his spiritual uniform and just merge with the congregation. Look, it's a job that no man in himself can fulfill. And being a teaching elder, I can also say that I'm trying to do something that I cannot do on my own. You know that. And that's why we have to cast ourselves on the Lord continuously, that God would use broken vessels like us to accomplish some good in the life of the church. And so Paul, uh, Peter is saying, don't water down the standards. Hold high and keep those standards consistently whenever you're dealing with choosing men to be elders. And once they become elders, they must have our prayer support. And then there's the benefits. Verse 4 says, and when the chief shepherd appears, that's of course Christ coming back, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You see, that's the second section here, and here's the second reference to humbling oneself to serve, being followed by, by glory. Humiliation followed by exaltation in the proper biblical sense of those terms. The unfading crown of glory. Several times in the Bible, of course, we're told about the crown 
of glory that God will give to us when we are through with our earthly lives. The word crown there is the word that was used for a particular flower in uh, Peter's day. It was called the amaranth flower. It had this unique characteristic that it would not fade like most flowers would. It tended to have this this uh, longer life, and it, was, it gave a hint, a symbol, symbolic hint of immortality. Back in chapter 1, verse 4, Peter used that same word when he talks about our inheritance. You're going to receive an inheritance that won't fade away. It's permanent. It's eternal. The inheritance of glory that we will have with Christ and his church. And so that's true here for the elders as well. <clears throat> Dr. Ed Clowney said this, The faithful elders who receive their crown of blessing from the Lord will cast their crowns before the throne of him who wore a crown of thorns for them. The crowns are a rich way of thinking of how God will bring glory to those who serve him well. And then last, notice in our uh, verses, verses 5 through 7, the, the final question. How are the members to live before the leaders of the church? How are the members to live? Here's the short answer. Humbly. Humbly. Once our church elects men to be elders of the church, uh, we believe that through the process that we go through, this is God answering our prayers and God supplying the men that are needed to lead our church. And we need to relate to them with humility and submission. We don't need to second guess them. Certainly if we have an issue or a question, we should bring it to them and seek to gain understanding about that. But even so, we need to be submissive to their leadership and their decisions. There's a bumper sticker that's been around for a long time that says, question authority. Question authority. <clears throat> um, you can imagine the kind of people that might want to put that on their bumpers. But you know, there is a legitimate authority that we need to be willing to properly question when needed, but not question every authority as if you know, we need to get rid of them. Remember the, the uh, movement uh, not too long ago about wanting to do away with the police in some cities. And of course, that's still uh, a theme for some people. You know, we don't need the authority of the police. They just do, they just cause more problems. No, there's more problems caused without them than with them. We need more police and better police, perhaps, uh, before we need no police. So we're called to humble submission. And Peter says here, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God in verse 6. And even before that, he says, you who are younger, verse 5, be subject to the elders. He's just referring to some of the people in the church, the younger men, because they probably had a, a greater tendency and temptation to want to question the elder's authority. What makes you uh, the one who calls the shots in this church? Why should I listen to you? Why can't I just do what I think is best? 
because they are the God's appointed men to serve the church, just like we shouldn't question having authority over us in civil law or children with parents. Children often question the authority of their parents and they have to learn that that's a God-ordained plan uh, for uh, our lives. The basic duty that we have, though, verse, the end of verse 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, see, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He, he uses a term that, that was used to when someone would want to take uh, an item of clothing and fasten it on themselves. Jesus, in showing the greatest example of humility ever in John 13, at the beginning of the chapter, he says Jesus took off his outer garments and fastened on a towel. That's what the word means, fasten on. Like uh, someone who was going to cook fastens on an apron. Fasten on the clothing of humility for yourselves is what he's saying to us. You need to live humbly. You may think of yourself as a humble person. Maybe you are. But don't get to the point to where you're proud of your humility. Right? Because you're, you're uh, contradicting yourself. You know, I want, and there are people who do this. I want to act real humble so I can impress people. Well, what's your real motive here? God knows our hearts. We need to see ourselves in this position of humility before the author, uh, authorized uh, servants of the Lord that are our leaders. And ultimately in doing that, we're submitting to God. Now, the way you do that is, is praying for that right attitude and spirit. And the best way to, to win that over to your own heart is to just remember the gospel that you are an undeserving sinner, that you still have plenty of sin in your heart, no matter how long you've been a Christian. And God in his grace has pardoned those sins. God has intervened in your life. He sort of, in a sense we could say, he grabbed us and took us out of the situation we were in spiritually and he put us in a whole new situation took us out of the kingdom of darkness and put us in the kingdom of light. He made us new creations in Christ because the gospel says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, the more you think on that, the more you apply that to yourself, humility will come. Remember your place compared to God's place. Now, when he tells us to do all that, he encourages us. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's our encouragement to you and to me. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. If you humble yourself under God's mighty hand, and that's a, a term used throughout the Bible. God would, is said, of course, it's an anthropomorphism. Uh, where he's using a hand as if God really had a hand like you and I do. And of course, that's not true. God is a spirit. But it's a way of communicating his power. God's hand 
would subdue the enemies of Israel in the Old Testament. God's hand would even humble the people of Israel by disciplining them very severely at times when they rebelled against him. But at the same time, God's hand would also be used to protect them, to continue to forgive them, to forbear them, to guide them, and to help them to be the people he wants them to be. John Calvin said that just, we just need to think of God as having two hands, and one hand is used to, to, in a sense, push us down through the experiences of our lives, sometimes hardships especially, to, to cause us to realize we are in control of our lives like we think we are. And it has the effect of humbling us and making us turn to God, which is what we should do anyway. But his hand, the other hand of God, is one that will respond to that when we submit to him. Humbling yourselves and God will lift you up. He will bless you because you are looking at him and submitting to him the way you should. We are all, at that last there, he tells us we are to constantly depend on God to care for us. Verse 7, <clears throat> casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Peter seems to know that these people have anxieties. Do you have anxieties? Of course you do. Some of us handle it better than others. But we all have, that, that word means to be, to be separated. It's when you've got a, a, a conflicted heart. And it's when you don't really know what's going to happen. And you worry about it. What Peter says here is very comforting. Take your anxieties and cast them on God. It's like Peter would have done when he was a fisherman and he would take his nets and he would cast them out into the water. They had weights on them and they would be pulled down into the water to catch the fish. When you come to God in prayer, cast your anxieties on Him. Cast your anxieties on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. I think we forget that a lot. God loves His people. And God is going to take care of them. There's an old song I remember used to be sung at Billy Graham Crusades. It shows you how old I am. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. And that's one of the joys of being a Christian. There are people that you have in your life that care for you, of course. But no one, no one ever cared for you like Jesus. That's, that's what should lead us to casting our cares on him. Lord, I'm, I'm too anxious. I'm worried about how's this going to work out? I don't see how it's going to happen. Remember, he cares for you. He knows what's going on. My God shall supply all of your needs through his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote, if people lived this way, the way Peter is saying here about humbly submitting to our elders and living a life of humility and trusting God in the midst of that, if people lived this way, it would be 
it would be a relatively easy job for an elder to be an elder. Here then is the kind of leadership a church needs. Here, here then is the kind of membership a church needs. God calls us to choose men who can be such leaders, to prayerfully support them, and to live our lives in humility and faith as they seek to shepherd the flock of God that God has given them the responsibility to carry out. As we do these things, we can be confident that God will honor such leadership and strengthen his people to live in the power of his love and truth. May this be said of Main Street Presbyterian Church, that we might reflect these glorious standards for the glorious body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Christ not only redeeming us from our sin, but also for the instructions that he gives us through his apostles and the prophets about leadership in the church. May we humbly submit to them. May we live lives of humility. May we remember that you are opposed to the proud, but you give grace to the humble. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.